Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahery, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you, and if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org to connect with me or send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day. Hello, friends. We are going to consider the fourth word of our Savior Jesus from the cross today in our Words That Matter series. We have already considered the word of forgiveness, the word of salvation, and the word of relationship. And with each of those phrases, those first three words, Jesus speaks for or to others, for the good of others, for example. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise, he says, as an example. But now we hear Jesus speak to his Father, to Father God. Other humans are able to hear, but he's speaking to Father God about his own experience as the Son of God. And he speaks what is called the word of abandonment. And this is a deep, some might say dark and difficult word. But I pray that as we explore today, that we would see the magnificence of the Son of God and the Father God as they experience the cross from their places within the Trinity. Let let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are the one that we should rightly revere and fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. Oh, Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to hear your words and be drawn into ever deeper worship of the Son of God and who he is and what he has done for us. Lord, I I pray for those listening that they would pray for themselves as they listen to your word, that this would be an act of worship that would bring you glory, God. That they would pray for me and other people who proclaim your word, Lord, that we would truly be servants of your words, not, not here for our agenda, but here for your glory, God. And we pray, all of us, that you would be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wherever you're at, if it's safe and good, I I, I ask that you would stand, if you're able, for the reading of the gospel from the gospel of Mark chapter 15, starting with verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Well, the hour had come. 
the hour had come. In the Gospel of Mark alone, in, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, Jesus predicts his own death, and it, it's recorded in the other Gospels as well. This, this was the hour that was to come, that, that Jesus, the, the full man, knew was coming, but also he's the Son of God, and he, he knew it was coming from long before, but this is the hour that Mary, too, as the mother of Jesus knew was coming. She was told when Jesus was just a baby that a sword would pierce her own soul, too. And she is going through suffering as she watches her son die. This is also the hour that Jesus would, knew would come when he started his ministry, when his mother, in John chapter 2, released Jesus to do his ministry, to do his first public miracle at a wedding where he turned water into wine. He knew that his time was now coming. And really, friends, it's strange to think about God and time, God outside of time, God eternal, and somehow God came into time as the Son of God became fully man, though fully God. And in that sense, somehow is entwining the eternal trinity with time, becoming fully human. And, and, and this, this God of ours is now purposefully, intentionally entangled with the reality of living in time. But this is all by God's gracious choice. And that's deep to ponder. That's part of the sacrifice, right, is that God became flesh, as the Son of God in human form. He, he lived within time. And now it is this long-awaited time that God knew was coming, that God had planned to do, that God had, had talked about. The time was here. And as it's happening, as the Son of God, fully man, is, is dying upon the cross, it is changing the atmosphere around him. The, the sky is turning dark. Right? Now, in, in the ancient times, and especially along the equator there, they keep time by the sun it, you know they, the the sun comes up in the morning and that's when the day starts in a sense so it was six hours since sunrise and so the sixth hour is basically what we might call noon and the ninth hour is about 3 p.m. ish and so it's during that time frame that something more than physical is happening the atmosphere is changing something deeply spiritual we could say metaphysical is happening the very physical presence of reality is being impacted. Darkness is gathering in this place. Why darkness? Why the darkness? Well, let's think about what's happening. The Son of God, who is from outside of eternity and now has lived a perfect life as a human being, fulfilled the law in every way, never sinned. This innocent Son of Man, who is also the Son of God, is experiencing condemnation, though he is not worthy of condemnation. He does not deserve this death. For the first time ever, a human, not of sin nature, having never sinned, is dying an undeserved death. It had never happened before. And this is rattling all of reality, that this perfect one is dying. And he's also, as the Son of God, choosing to use his death to draw the reality of sin and the power of it, the evilness of it, upon himself. And this is very real. Can you think that, that sin and evil is being drawn from the future and the past and, 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 and all of it in the present there, the sin that you have done and participated in, the sin done to you, the worst and ugliest things done in, in world history, it, it's coalescing, it's coming together all in that one place, in that one time upon that one perfect person. Think about the reality of it all coming down, weighing upon him 
The evil, the sin, and the wrath that comes with it is drawn to Jesus. As, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who know, knew no sin to be sin for us. That's what's happening, right? He knew no sin, and yet in some way he is becoming sin. He's, he's taking it upon himself. And he's doing all this, as Paul said, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He, he knew no evil. He deserved no condemnation, but he's in a sense absorbing, becoming sin, taking the power of it, the, re, the reality of this unreality of sin. He's taking it upon himself so that we, we can be freed from its power and its penalty. God came and truly did this. We had, we had birthed sin into the, our lives and into the world, and he is coming to take that, that, that unreality away, the power of that sin away. God came to really, truly deal with our brokenness and to vanquish the power of sin, evil, and death. And he'd been planning to do this for a very long time. Psalm 22 is quoted by Jesus from the cross because God had a real plan and he had it for a very long time and now he is invoking that plan. The hour had come and he is living it out. But, but a thousand years before in Psalm 22, God said this, inspired through the words of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night but I find no rest. This Psalm of David a thousand years before describes a servant of God who seems to be suffer, who is suffering and is forsaken by God or is feeling forsaken by God. This is describing the long-held plan of God. A Psalm written over a thousand years before the Godhead uh, saying, this is my plan and now it, it, it's happening with Jesus being hung on the cross. The true servant of the Lord, the true son of God, is experiencing this, this feeling of forsakenness, this, this abandonment. Psalm 22 also speaks of this servant of the Lord having his hands and feet pierced, having his clothing gambled over. That was known a thousand years before, and that is fulfilled in Christ. The, the point of it all is this, this was a decision made in the Godhead eternally before, a, a long time before is another way to say this, a long time before, from the beginning, God chose to come and rescue us in this way. But it's one thing to say that it's going to happen. It's another thing to go through it, right? It's one thing to take the pregnancy test, right, and to know you're pregnant. It's another thing to go through childbirth. And if I could just compare this, I mean, it's one thing for God to say and know that he is going to have to really do this and enter reality and be entangled with reality and really deal with the, the, the power and the penalty of sin, but it's another thing for God to actually have the hour and go through it. God knew what was coming. God had the expectation of this, and his love had existed for this very, very long time, right? But now he is really and truly entering history as the very Son of God, and now he has to actually do it and birth into this reality by taking upon himself the pain and the darkness and the evil. And this is how he's going to give us new life. How we become the righteousness of God is by him freeing us from all this unreality and this evil, this, this brokenness, this sin. It was one thing to tell us it was coming. 
But it's quite another that he actually goes through it. This tells us who God is. Jesus was actually going through it, actually experiencing this terrible, difficult experience. So what is Jesus experiencing? He's experiencing things on different levels or different aspects of his identity. His, his, physically, of course, he's experiencing a terrible death that other humans are experiencing, but you know, it's a terrible death where he eventually is unable to breathe, but it's far deeper than just the physical suffering. There's the, the social suffering or the relational suffering where he is a social being, and he's had deep connection to family and friends, many of whom have abandoned him. There are some that are faithful in there, right? But he's experiencing this social brokenness, too, that we humans have. He, he, he's experiencing the social breaking in some way, and so it's not a, a severing at all, but his eternal relationship with the Father and the Spirit are in some way impacted by what is happening here in time and in this dark cloud. The mental, the mental suffering that he's going through, the real anguish as he has less and less oxygen in his blood going to his brain, it's harder and harder for his brain to think clearly. And, and we want to say, some Christians will want to protect him and say, but he's the Son of God, right? So he, you know, he, but he's... He's the son of God who has one brain inside his skull, who's fully man and has less oxygen going to that brain. And he's experiencing what other people have felt like to go through that type of death. He's being stressed mentally beyond what, what most of us have known. Emotionally, you know, I know I can get stressed out emotionally. We all can. But I don't think what I, I, I have any inkling of what it would feel like emotionally to be killed by a being that I created. And that's what emotionally he's going through as the Son of God. And then the emotions of his humanity, right? And spiritually, this deep, deep aspect that we need to consider. The separation or feeling of forsakenness that the Son is truly experiencing as this gathering cloud from past, present, and future of, of, of all of our sin and its evil and its weight comes upon him, there is a cloud of darkness enveloping him that in a sense the Father cannot see into. Now the Father God and Spirit God are powerful, but along with God's power is his purity. He is holy. And Habakkuk 1.13, Habakkuk 1.13 says that the Father's eyes are too, too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. And this, this gets to the edge of what we can understand, but as Jesus takes on the power of, of all these wrong choices and behaviors and things that we as human beings have done, it impacts the relationship of Father and Son, and they knew it would because they predicted it in Psalm 22 a thousand years before. Now, the, the Son of God is one of the Godhead, one God, but he's one person of the Godhead. And, and he isn't just looking upon sin. Paul, we already read, he says he became sin, but not by participating in it, not by giving into it. He's allowing sin that we participated in and gave into to come upon himself knowing that this is the only way to vanquish the, the, the power of it and to give us true, renewed identity and freedom. And so the Son of God is becoming sin in the sense of taking its power and its penalty upon himself. His, his identity as the Son of God is not lost. And he's not, he's not kicked out as a member of the Trinity or something, but in another way, he becomes lost in the cloud at least temporarily, but in a real experience as they're entangled in time. 
the Son and the Father can't see each other in some very real sense. But the Father never stops loving the Son. And the Son never stops loving the Father. And the Spirit never stops loving either of them. And yet they are really going through something. This is not play acting. This is not pretend. This is God doing this for us. And this stretches what we can know and not know. But let's think about some things that we know God did and God didn't do. And just admit that there's much we don't know. We know the Father never stopped loving the Son. And the Son never stopped loving the Father. We know that the Father did not separate from the Son and they became separate gods or something, right? We know that. We know that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit did not stop all this terrible stuff from happening. We also know that. We know that not, none of them called upon a legion of angels to stop the cross. The, this dramatic set of events played out. We know that the Son of God called out that ancient psalm, invoking the ancient words to describe what he was feeling, saying, in a sense, to those who have ears to hear, this is the long-held plan of God to do this for your sake, people. By asking the question, he's causing us to try to answer the question, why would the perfect Son of God be here? Because by experiencing the forsakenness that we deserve, we can become people who will never be forsaken by our God. And nothing now can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ our Lord when we are in relationship with, us, with Him. So why does, what does this tell us about God? It tells us that His love is real, right? That though He experienced forsakenness, He did it for a reason that, that we could have a life where we are never forsaken, he is there on the cross experiencing a pain far deeper and in, in multiple dimensions and in, 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 in ways we don't even have words to express simply because he loves us, friends. He really loves us. His love is real. His experiencing this forsakenness, the, 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 the sin, the evil that binds and plagues us, he did this so that this would no longer have power to identify us and to hold us. He was forsaken so that he could make a way for us to experience never being forsaken. Pastor and theologian Tibiti Anilible said it well when he said, here's what we must remember and treasure. Jesus willingly suffers this so sinners may escape it. Jesus' abandonment means that sinners our, Jesus' abandonment means the sinner's adoption. He takes our place on the cross so we can take his place in the kingdom. Because he was abandoned socially, we may be children in the household of God. Because he was deserted emotionally, we become whole again, renewed in the image of God. Because he suffered spiritual separation, we may be spiritually united to him through faith so that we will never be separated from God's love. Because he was forsaken, we are forgiven. Now he says to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What good news, friends. This is encouragement for our lives. We should praise our God forever and ever. The power of sin and death and evil has been vanquished. We have participated in it, but God has said, I, I, I have conquered it. And it no longer has dominion over you. This means that true freedom, ultimate freedom in God is possible 
when we connect to this, what Jesus has done to us, when we connect in relationship by trusting faith to him. This means that we can live in the peace and security of who God says we are, that he completely knows us and yet completely loves us. And he has chosen to vanquish our sin and he died and he took it to the grave and he left it there. And now our sin is buried and gone. It's as far as east is from west. It's at the bottom of the sea. Those are all images, right? It's not our identity anymore. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You are his. You are the righteousness of God. You are co-heirs with Christ. That is who you are. You are an accepted child of God. Don't take on any other identity. Don't live in shame. Don't, don't let the evil one say you are something less than you are. Because, not because of you, but because of him, because of who he is and what he really experienced, that that darkness did really coalesce upon himself, that he did really and truly suffer in a way we cannot understand, and not just him, but the Father and the Spirit, in some way we don't even have words to express. And the darkness may still try to attack us, but it can never control us for he is victorious. We have nothing to fear because we have him and we have his victory. The door to God's kingdom is flung open by the love of Jesus Christ and we are invited through that door and we need to believe. So do not despair for no darkness can conquer the deep light of Jesus Christ. So some practices to, to take with this message Perhaps develop your own breath prayer against despair. A breath prayer against despair. A breath prayer is just something that is a brief prayer that you can pray in the time it takes to inhale or inhale and exhale. It could be something like, God really cares for me. And as you say those words, God really cares for me, you picture the cross. Or God buried my sin. Right? that your sin is gone and dead, the power of it's taken away. Just a brief prayer. What is, what is a breath prayer you could develop? It could be just a few words and then you say it throughout your day and it becomes true words that invoke, invoke the reality of Christ in your life so that you can fight against temptation or sin or, or be encouraged throughout your day. Consider a breath prayer against despair. And also consider the simple practice of never more than 24. Never more than 24. That is that we, we live life in 24-hour periods, days, right? And every day we should have a time where we, where we reflect on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. Some aspect of it. Some reality of it. Right? Maybe it's the sky turning black and your reality that some of that blackness and darkness was your sin. Never more than 24 don't go 24 hours without reflecting on the goodness and love of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your amazing goodness towards us. Though you experience that very real feeling of forsakenness, you experience suffering beyond what we can comprehend. You did this for the joy that was set before you, the joy of making us new and restoring us and inviting us into your kingdom. Oh, Lord, may we receive that, believe that, and live to glorify you forever. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, some next steps you could also do is maybe tonight as you go to bed, just praise God for his love for us, that he loves us so deeply that he would go to the cross for us. And maybe that next step for you is 
putting that never more than 24 into practice. Maybe that means putting a wooden cross in your pocket, right, or in your purse or something. But maybe you need to take that step of living daily with that thought of Christ. Well, thanks be to God for the, the goodness of his love, the depth of his love. So much so that he would go to that dark cross for us. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to that message from our series, Words That Matter. It, in this season of Lent 2023, we have other resources available to bless you and deepen your faith. Uh, we gather for Bible studies throughout the week. Check out PalouseChurch.org for our schedules. Uh, check out uh, the Bible app where many of us do reading plans together uh, focused on what we're learning in this season. You can also join us for Soup Suppers Wednesday night in person, 6.30 p.m. at the church where we are reflecting and, and listening to people share about the words that, that Jesus said from the cross. We also have Nights of Peace on Thursday nights during this season at Holy the Holy Trinity Chapel in Palouse where you can be, be with the Lord in just a quiet time. Uh, and that's anytime from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Thursday nights. So there's lots of resources. Check us, check us out on YouTube.com or the Bible app if you're not uh, a friend of me or uh, our church on there. Check that out just so that you can connect with some resources that bless you if you're tuning into this series. Again, thank you for listening, and we do pray that the Lord blesses you and your time in the Word.